The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Hi, everyone. I'm Brooke. <laughs> great. Okay. <laughs> so here we are. Um, I'm really nervous, but this will be great. Okay. So, um, for everyone, just to get to me know get to know me a little bit better before we get started, I'm just gonna tell you about myself. So I'm just gonna start talking. Um, I grew up in Edmonds, Washington, which is like, woo, uh, <laughs> just like 20 minutes north of here, pretty small town. Um, but I've lived there my whole life, and my parents still live there. It's where I led Young Life for a long time, which I'll mention later. Um, but okay, before all that, rewind. I was a baby at one point, and. Um, in that, so the interns typically do this like cutest baby intern competition, and so I like to throw mine up there, and I think I might win because I was a baby model. Look at that! <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> started off my life with that, and I'll lead, I'll guide you guys through a couple of my little uh, portfolio shots. Next one, please. Uh, just sailing away. You know? <laughs> I don't even know. And then, Moving on, next shot. Uh, my boy, my girl, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but the, one of the greatest parts is no matter who booked me, like whatever shot I got, we would send them a nice thank you card. Thanks. From Brooke Watson. <laughs> but um, all of this, you know, it had a point. I think like the crown jewel of my modeling career, so it be would be that I got to be on the cover of the AT&T cell phone box. Whoa! <laughs> it was their first phone, and it was like, I don't know, this big. It kind of looks like a normal house phone now. But yeah, that was like the cool, one of the coolest moments of all that. And I look really happy. That's not my real family. But this is my real family. <laughs> so again, look at my model stance when I'm little. I just got the, the pose with the hair <laughs> perfectly swooped out. but. That was my family when I was little. I had my mom, my dad, and my sister, who's eight years older than me, and they're all here tonight to support me, which is wonderful. Um, and so, and then that's us later in life, so you can see what we actually look like now. And transition from point A to point B, pay attention later, and that'll make more sense. But <laughs> um, all that aside, I started off as a kid doing my baby modeling, but then a huge part of my life was figure skating competitively, which I'll talk more about later but I just thought I would include that because it was a huge part of my life. Um, all that aside, I graduated from my mental day and I went to UW, go dogs, where I was in a sorority. Go off a Kai Omega. <laughs> oh, okay. they're all right there. <laughs> where I graduated last spring with degrees in psychology and sociology, which naturally led me into ministry. Um, but... I'm actually here because, as I mentioned, I led Young Life for a long time, and I think out of my experience of college, that was probably, like, the best part of it. Um, just, I signed up to be a Young Life leader, and they were the craziest girls that I could have ever been given, much more than I anticipated, but I could probably talk about that for 30 minutes alone, but I won't. But that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this internship, is just because I loved getting to know them, I loved walking alongside life with them, so it led me here. And then... I mean, the other reason is Jesus. I love him a lot. So he's the main reason I'm here. But that's just a little bit about me. 
and how I got here. So let's pray before we get started. Jesus, I thank you for this time that you've carved out for all of us to be together. Uh, I pray that you'd be with me right now and just help to remove me from myself. Um, Please let your words ring true tonight and just anything that's of me and myself just return void, God, and give everyone in this room um, ears to hear um, the words that you have to say to them tonight. So please fill this room with your presence uh, and be with us in this moment. In your son's name, amen. All right. So those of you who don't know uh, what's going on at the inn recently, we're going through a series um, about having childlike faith versus childish faith and sort of how different ways that we can mature in that faith and different needs that we have as children of God. And so my week, so tonight, we are talking about the need to be disciplined. Um, And so with that, we are going to go into the scripture, which is Matthew 18, 15 through 20, which reads, if a brother or sister sins against you, go and point out the fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, take it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Okay, so first off, this passage is a passage of discipline. Um, And just looking at the first verses, 15 through 17, we're going to focus on those for a little bit. Um, When I first read this and when I read it with students, my first thought and theirs was, okay, that is really harsh. (laughs) And like, it just gets really intense. And by the end of it, it just seems really serious. And like for me, when I read it, I thought, how am I supposed to talk about that? Because if you know me, you know, I don't like conflict. (laughs) And I don't like confrontation. And just like reading it kind of made me feel uncomfortable where I was like crawling under my skin. So there's just a noticeable progression in what's going on. But something that I learned throughout it that I think is essential in pointing out um, is looking at the last verse where it says, tell it to the church, and if they refuse to listen to the church, church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Um, I don't know about you guys, but when I read that, I pictured someone like getting thrown out of the community. Um, And so if you're unfamiliar with the term pagan or tax collector, it's typically someone who like wasn't in the faith or like didn't believe in God. And tax collectors are people that, you know, um, like took advantage of other people and kind of took their money. So they're really looked down upon. So essentially I interpreted the verse like, okay, someone screwed up and clearly they're wrong and everyone disagrees with them. So like, scoot along. You don't really need to be here. (laughs) But I want to look at a different verse about tax collectors, which is in Luke. If you want to put that up. And it reads, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? When he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So in reading this, what do we learn about tax collectors? We learn that Jesus loves them. We learn that he seeks after them, that he welcomes them in and rejoices over their presence. And so then, like, 
What's one of our goals as followers of Jesus? It's always to be more like Jesus. So returning to the original text that we're looking at, like it changes it. It's not harsh at all anymore. It becomes incredibly loving with graceful correction. And instruction then looks like this. It's like, okay, go and talk to someone one-on-one. And if that doesn't work, take in a couple witnesses, which, side note, aren't just your friends, because sometimes they'll just take your side. <laughs> it's people that will be accountable with everyone. Anyways, go and talk to that person. <laughs> if it doesn't work, bring in witnesses. If that doesn't work, take it to the church. If that doesn't work, continue to love them and just welcome them in. And like, that's the point of what Jesus is saying, I think. It's put aside selfish motives for the sake of others knowing the goodness of God. It's not about creating divisions in the church, but welcoming people in and creating a unifying community. It's God's graceful heart and a loving heart, and I want us to see that in the text. Second point is that there's two characters in the passage. I can't remember. Okay. Okay, one of them is the sinner who has done something wrong, and the other one is the person being sinned against, the victim. And we could spend the rest of the time talking about, like, the victim and what to do when someone sins against you and, like, what to do in a conflict when someone, you think someone else is, like, wrong. And I think the passage lays out pretty clear, like, you do this and then you do this and then you do this. Um, so instead of looking at from that point of view, I want us to take the p- perspective of being the sinner and being the one who's wrong and being the one who needs correction. And I think the thing about us as humans is that we don't, we don't want to ever, like we are suck at admitting sin. Like it's not an easy thing to do. And um, when I first read the scripture, you know, I pictured my, I put myself in that position of like, oh, who in my life am I mad at? Or like, who has sinned against me? And I automatically placed myself as a victim. Like it takes humility to be that person, to identify as the one who is a sinner. And I don't know if, I hope other people in the room identify with that, with me, that sometimes we're stubborn and we need a correction. Um, but as children of God, and to reel in this childlike faith that we're talking about in this series, we need to be disciplined by God, and we need to practice that. And so I want to take a moment and talk about the word discipline, and I want everyone to hear me that it's not just a negative term. It doesn't just mean punishment. And I think that's a really common thing. And like when I thought about it, it's like, oh, I mean disciplined, I mean punished, like I did something wrong. But I want us, for the sake of this time, to think about it as purposeful correction. Purposeful and that God never disciplines us without a greater good on the other side. Like it's a unifying type of discipline that brings growth. Do you guys kind of see what I'm saying? That it's not just negative. Um, so story time. I talked about my figure skating, or I mentioned it. So I did that competitively for like 12 to 13 years of my life. And it was something that like I trained two hours a day for like six days a week for most of the time. And I had like four coaches and then one off-ice coach, and I would be there every single day. And I had, like, the pretty dresses and the fancy white skates and all those nice things. <laughs> um, so to show you guys a little bit of it, me, baby Bricky, and then <laughs> senior skater. And so you can kind of see transformation that went on. Like, I started with a little, just a little guy. <laughs> and then by the end of it, clearly somehow it got better. Um, and so with skating, like, I was pretty good at, like, doing spins and choreography and, like, kind of the fancy things. Uh, but I would say my weak point in all of it was my jumps, in that, uh, <laughs> I know it's not to say I was awful at them, but it was definitely, like, the weak chain um, in my ice skating, but, and I recognize, that, okay, that I'm still good, like, in comparison to the vast majority of people who would put on ice skates, and that I can still do tricks and, like, twirly things, as people say, <laughs> but in comparison to other competitive figure skaters, like, 
I was not that good, and I'm not about to be in the Winter Olympics, as you can all guess, <laughs> because I'm here right now. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> all that being said, it's like in spite of not being the greatest figure skater there ever was, I still want to practice every single day. And there was a point in my junior year of high school where it was, I kid you not, I was moving backwards. I was like, I would go to skating and spend two hours on my butt on the ice. Because I would just fall on everything, and like even spins, which I was good at. I don't know how I was doing it, but like that's what would happen. And through all the annoying practices and times when I felt like I was moving backwards in it, I really now understand the importance of allowing correction and discipline from my coaches in that. Like obviously, I hope to be the best, and I hope to like go on to the big leagues or whatever.、Um, so imagine this: imagine that I showed up to ice skating every day, and I never took a lesson from a coach ever. And that I just、uh, practiced by myself, and I was like, "Oh, this technique should work," because I'm right. And I just <laughs> taught myself everything and tried to critique myself. Like we can all agree that with any sport or thing that we do, that's not going to get us anywhere.、Um, and it would be childish way for me to go about my figure skating career and try and do it on my own and be unteachable and uncorrectable. More childlike way is to be led and to receive correction. I needed coaches and I needed support from my friends and other figure skaters who like had the same goals to encourage me. And, like we were all on the same track together.、Um, and the thing is, is that even with all this, I didn't receive results right away. Like that period when I was moving backwards, I still go every day and it sucked and I hated it. <laughs> But eventually things did get better. Like as I said, didn't go anywhere crazy with it. But I didn't quit because I got stuck. You guys see, and like, even though results didn't come right away, I still showed up and was willing to be corrected, and I was willing to change.、Um, I think this concept applies to almost anything. Like, if you're trying to get from point A to point B, some sort of transformation needs to happen.、Um, so, if we go back to the text and remember the perspective that we're in of needing to be corrected,、um, we can't expect to grow, transform, or essentially go anywhere、uh, without the help of God and others.、Uh, a time in my life when I was pretty stubborn. Um, and wrong, I would say it was in college and being in sorority. And so now this is my experience. Not everyone in the room has to relate or do what I did, but this is just merely an example of how God shaped me、um, and grew me. But during my freshman year, I got pretty caught up in the drinking scene right away, and I really just wanted my pledge class to like me, and I wanted like them to relate to me, and I wanted to relate to them. And as dumb as it sounds. Um, I wanted to be able to like relate to the kitchen table conversations to go on the next morning after a night out. Like I wanted to be able to contribute,、um, and nothing awful ever came from it. Like there's never any broken friendships or relationships or like injuries. I never got in trouble for anything.、Um, but the problem with it was that the entire time I was doing that, I was leading those young life girls I was talking about.、Um, so it's like two totally different lives, and neither one really knew what was going on with the other one. Like young life girls knew I was in sorority, and that I would have like fun events. <laughs> and that's all they really knew. And then, like, on the flip side, like the sorority knew I was a young life leader, but I didn't really talk about my face. I didn't really say how much Jesus was a part of it. I just kind of like I compartmentalized my faith on each side.、Um, and this went on for like a year without me wanting to admit to God or admit to others that I was kind of living a double life.、Um, I refused to listen to sermons, and you guys know those sermons when it, like you feel like it's just talking to you. So I would hear those, and I would just like, <laughs> it's not me. <laughs>、um, and I think it was just in one moment that God broke me, and was just telling me like, there's more than this. There's more than this like double thing you're trying to do. 
And it took a few people just investing in me and inviting me to live life with them where I really started to see change. Um, And that was really hard. Like, it's hard for someone to come into my life and point out the inconsistencies of, like, you do this, but you also do this. doesn't really make sense. Um, And here's the thing. I think sometimes we feel judgmental if we sort of call other people out, like it's not our place. But I needed that. Like, I think the risk is worth the result because I needed someone to sit down with me and invite me to live life differently. And if I wouldn't have had that, it just would have been a lot harder. Um, I need someone to say to me, like, Brooke, I think there's more. I think God has more. And quite honestly, I think that if you don't go and party with your sorority every Thursday, they're still going to like you, which is a crazy thought, you know? But they were right. (laughs) And I think that, like, people still invited me to, like, come with them and do things with them. And my hunch and my hope was that the heart in that was because they actually liked me and it wasn't just for who I was pretending to be, but they liked me for genuinely who I was. Um, and when I, say, when I talk about this journey, it was a long process. It didn't happen overnight. By long process, I mean all four years of college. Like, <laughs> I never really figured it out, but it was a continual journey of God inviting me to live life with him. Um, sometimes I was better at it, sometimes I wasn't. That's not the point. The point is that I needed correction, and God allowed himself to break me and to give me a few good friends in that to continually invite me back into that and to like be the ones to point out inconsistencies. And I learned to trust them and trust God more with them. So let me ask you this. Like, how receptive to correction are you? And what's your instinct when someone approaches you is pointing out areas where you can grow. And I think as children of God, we need to be this, and we need to be receptive to change. And God tells us in Scripture that he made us in his image and that he began a work in us that he will bring to completion. Our whole life should be a process of striving to be like this. And so when you think of your, like, earthly parents, um, like, they disciplined you. They corrected you. And it was never in a, like, oh, I'm right, you're wrong, and just because I'm the parent type fashion. It was, like, a loving heart that they desired you to know better. And every child gets disciplined. And so a childish reaction to respond to that is to, like, look at your parents and say, like, no, I'm... Like, I'm going to refuse to grow. I see where you want me to go, but I'm going to stay here because I'm being selfish. A more childlike reaction is to see how our parents correct us and to see essentially where they want us to go, point B, and step into that and to take that on. Um, And to look at it in the perspective of God, it's like how much more graciously will our Heavenly Father discipline us? Like, how much more loving is it and gentle and perfect Like, he disciplines us in order to help us, and we know that his intention is for our good to be more like him. And that is so awesome to think that there's a perfect father who has a good point B for you. And it's just us being willing to step into it. So second verse I want to look at is Hebrews 12, which says, "Um, Because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his child, endure hardships as discipline. God is treating you as, as his children, For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate children at all. Moreover, we have all had parents who disciplined us, and we suspected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? Our parents disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvestness of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. You guys, that is so cool. 
when I read that, it just makes me so excited. Like, the Lord disciplines those that he loves. And he talks about us as children, sons and daughters of the high king. Like, he wants good for us. And he doesn't say if he chooses to discipline us. He says when he disciplines us. It will happen, and we will be corrected, and we will be disciplined, and how are you going to respond to it? Like, and look at, okay, at the encouragement at the end. It talks about, okay, it'll be painful. That's a promise. Like, it's going to suck, and we can all attest to that, that sometimes it sucks. But later on, however, it produces a harvestness of righteousness and peace. Those have been trained by it. That's so exciting. And for me, that just makes me just want to say, like, okay, Lord, it's scary to ask big prayers like that and say I want to be disciplined. But I say, please, like, I, I want to be changed in that way. Okay, so we've talked about the first half of the passage for a long time, and I'm going to bring it full circle with the second half um, of the original scripture, which means, uh, truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Guys, okay, the second part is all about community. Um, It's all about having people around you to help you on this life journey with Christ. When I say community, I'm not just talking about a group of friends. Because like, okay, I was in a sorority. I had a lot of friends, but I didn't have a lot of community in that. Um, community is just so much deeper in how, and like what Christ intends for it. If community is knowing someone and being known by them. It's like essentially holding hands with them and walking through life with them, accepting challenges and challenging them, learning with them and growing with them. And so you can be a part of a lot of communities, like, oh, we're a part of the UW community, the SPU community, or the in community. You can be a part of a lot of communities, but not be in community. And so imagine, okay, this analogy of, like, a fire log, and it's on its own. It's just one log, and it's burning. Like, that fire is going to die super fast, and because there's nothing there to support it, so it's just going to die. Or if you imagine a stack of logs, like, that fire burns bright, and it burns longer because there's more to support it. Do you guys see what I'm saying? Like, we need each other. We need each other to feed off each other and support one another. Um, but moving forward, I'll touch on the concept of binding and loosing. Because uh, <laughs> when I read that, I was like, uh, I don't know what that means. Uh, it sounds kind of weird, but it's not that weird. Um, it's a Jewish phrase that Jesus is using, and in this context, he's talking about relationships. Um, so to bind something means to not let go of it. And so in regards to like our sin, it means to hold on to sin, to hold on to bitterness, um, to hold on to grudges, and to like, keep them bound to you. And then loosing, on the other hand, is like letting it go and forgiving of sin, to rid yourself of something with the intention of it unifying. It's like if you imagine two people next to each other, you're kind of getting rid of the junk in the middle so you guys can be in a relationship. Um, so essentially what's being put across here is a question of how you want to live your life on earth. Like, do you want to hold on to grudges and bitterness until you get to heaven's gates. It's like, in scripture it says that all tears will be wiped away, um, all debts forgiven, and sin no more. And like, I believe all that, and I believe when we get to heaven it's going to be sweet. And so I think that this part is talking about like, on earth, bring that to earth, like, loose yourself of these things and welcome people in the community so that when you get to heaven, like, you have already practiced heaven on earth. That's a pretty cool concept. Um, it's all about forgiving sin with each other and in ourselves as Christ forgives us. Um, and then Jesus continues to say, again, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. Or two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. So you guys, Jesus is here right now. <laughs> it says two or three, but there is way more than two or three of us, so there is like certainty that Jesus is here. 
And I think that alone, if that's all you take from this, that's so neat that Jesus is a part of us and a part of this community. Um, and so when I talk about this community, like Jesus is in the center of it. Like he uses his word, which is the scripture. And he uses the Holy Spirit and he uses us as people to like be in each other's lives. Um, so it makes me think about like, what would I have done without the two or three people? Because that's all it was. It was only two or three people that spoke into my life and were kind of calling out the inconsistencies. What would I have done without them? Because they were crucial in my college experience, helping to transform me from point A to point B. Like, we need each other, and I needed that. Um, and then the sweetest part about this passage is that Jesus is already there. Like, he's in the midst of everything, and it doesn't say, like, where two or three are, I'll show up. Or like when it gets really bad, then I might step in once it gets to that point or something. It just says that he's there with us. And for me, this implies that like he's already there before we get into these conflicts and conversations because he guides us there. Like he's a good father who guides us. Um, so I just want to point out that like no matter what your emotions are, God is bigger and he's with us. And so you can go into a conflict and be sad and you can be frustrated, you can be bitter and you can be hurt or you can be like indifferent to everything. You can just kind of be numb to it. Um, but no matter how you come into that moment, Christ is there. And like when I had people come into my life, those two or three, I was all of those things. Like I was bitter that people would have the nerve to say that to me, you know, and that angry that they were also right in that. And then I was sad because... I knew that I didn't really have the strength to do anything about it on my own and that I needed them. And um, I just want to say community is great and like community is super helpful. But I think that no matter how good community is, it isn't a savior. Like Jesus is the savior. Um, and he's ultimately the only one who corrects us to make us more like him. And having friends and people to keep you accountable is great. Like that's a great thing. And Jesus wants that for us, but Jesus is at the center of it. Um, without Jesus, you can talk circles around each other about all your arguments, and that would take forever because it would just go on forever. Um, but to know Jesus is to know love. Um, and I encourage everyone wholeheartedly to just welcome that concept in, that the loving correction of Jesus, that he wants to transform you from point A to point B. Um, and it can be so hard, and Scripture says that, but the joy on the other side, I think, is what makes it so worth it to be corrected and to be disciplined by God. And the coolest part about this whole passage that we read um, is how loving and tender Jesus is the whole time. Like at the beginning, I said it sounded super harsh, but it's not. Like it's so loving. Um, and Jesus doesn't judge people and cast them out like I originally thought. Um, but he encourages us to seek out our differences. Like we're allowed to be different. And he encourages us to seek that out, and he encourages us to be willing to be wrong and to be willing to be corrected and all of that. Jesus is about love, and he's about including anyone and everyone. And when all else fails, his love covers us. And even when we don't see our own sin, even when we're that person who's stuck in sin and we can't see it, like he, Jesus is still there because of his grace. And if you guys take nothing else from what I say tonight, and if it's just a bunch of blabber, I hope you understand the graceful heart of God that intends for us to have unity. Differences come and opinions enter in, but in the end, Jesus is bigger than our differences. He covers all that. He's bigger than sin. The ultimate goal for us is to love like Jesus. Uh, so my question, questions for you guys is, where do you need correction in your life? And where do you need the graceful heart of God to come in and allow unity in your life?
Right? You need the love of Jesus to bring you in, like he welcomed the sinners and tax collectors into that community. Where do you need that kind of love? Where have you been so stubborn to let go of sin and just need the grace of God and Jesus to cover it? We don't often agree on every matter. Scripture doesn't say that. In fact, we all have crazy opinions all the time. But we do need to recognize that Jesus is in the midst of every part of that. And as children of God, having this childlike faith in him, he's going to discipline us and he's going to correct us like a good father would. Like he's a good father. He is the perfect father. He is a loving father who wants to transform us from point A to point B. And we need to undergo correction in that time. So let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for your words. I thank you for this community that we have here at the inn. I thank you for brothers and sisters in our faith who ultimately encourage us to be more like you. Please allow us to be a community that unifies itself. Give us the eyes to love like Jesus, the boldness to sharpen one another, and the graceful heart to seek out the best for one another. Thank you that you're the perfect father. Lord, show each of us individually where we need your correction, where we need discipline from you, and please help us to be receptive to that. Help us to be open to a change that will make us more like you. That's ultimately just what we want. We love you so much. We're so thankful to be called children of the High King. In your son's name, amen.